Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God, our regular epistolary lesson for this Sunday, as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Romans, the 12th chapter, particularly the 21st verse. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, our strength and our Redeemer, dear friends, you Christian friends who are here in God's house this morning, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us uh, by means of the radio. Station WMRN was just three years old at the time. It was then that I had a burning desire to broadcast our Sunday morning worship service so that the sick and the shut-ins of this community uh, might share in that experience with us. We investigated the matter quite thoroughly. We discovered, first of all, what it would cost to broadcast the service, and then to find out also whether the time was available. Well, then when we realized that this was a possibility, it was the late Raymond Roker, a member of our congregation, that came to my house early one Monday morning and handed me $500 and said, uh, let's get started and let's see what happens. The first broadcast went out from this church on the last Sunday in January in the year 1943. Today, as you and I know, is the last Sunday in January of the year 1963. Twenty years have come and gone since that first broadcast from this Christian congregation. And I suppose most of us have been saying, well, what shall we do today? Uh, shall we do something different than what we have done in the past 20 years? And I'm sure the thing for us to do today is to do what we have done each Sunday, and that is to turn to the Word of God, to pick our text there, and to bring the Word of life as it has been brought from this pulpit for the last 20 years. You recall that we have been taking our text from the 12th chapter of Romans for the past two Sundays, and in this 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul has been reminding us that we have seen and we have tasted of the mercies of God. And to be sure, we have said that we have because we have been to Bethlehem and we have seen the Christ child, the gift of God to this world, and we have seen Christ as the epiphany light not only for the Jewish world but also for the Gentile world as well. And then you recall that two weeks ago Paul said to us, now that we have seen and we have tasted of the mercies of God, Paul said, let us be transformed, let us be new men and women, let us be changed men and women, let our lives be different from the lives of worldly men. And then last Sunday in the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul was talking to us again about the grace and the mercy of God, assuring us that by the grace of God you and I have been given talents. Different talents, to be sure, but talents nevertheless. 
And so the call last Sunday was this, on the basis of God's word, let's use to their full the talents that God has given us, even though they are different from the talents that God has given to any other individual. And today in the concluding verses of the Romans, the 12th chapter, St. Paul speaks to us in the word of God and he calls on us and he tells us that we who are Christians, we who have tasted of the mercies of God, he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We may say, what's he talking about? Well, the fact that we are not to be overcome by evil, we know exactly what he means by this evil in its context. And this evil we find is this that he has special reference to, the evil of a spirit of revenge in our hearts. Paul says, do not let a spirit of revenge conquer you. Do not let a spirit within you that means to get even with everybody who has done you wrong. Do not let a spirit of revenge within you whereby you say, I'm going to repay an evil deed with an evil deed. Paul says, do not let that kind of an evil conquer you. But he says, you conquer that evil. You conquer that spirit of revenge in doing good, in repaying an evil deed with a good deed. Mind you, Christian friends, this is the call of the word of God that you and I are to see to it that a spirit of revenge, a spirit of sweet revenge shall be conquered in us and that we shall do it in this way, that we shall repay an evil deed not with another evil deed, that we shall repay an evil deed not by doing nothing, but by doing something, and that is by doing a good turn. We may say to ourselves this morning, that's ridiculous. When you think about it, we say, as Christians, you mean to say that I am to repay an evil turn, a bad turn with a good one? Do you mean to say that that is my obligation as a Christian? And we may say to ourselves, that's ridiculous, that is utterly silly. We may conclude why it's silly because you've got everything to lose and you haven't got a thing to gain. We may say to ourselves, what good is it to repay an evil deed with a good deed that I am to go out of my way to conquer the desire within my heart that I'm going to return a man tit for tat and that I'm going to do him a good deed? in exchange for something evil that he has done for me, we may say, that doesn't pay. And we may also say, if that's Christianity, I don't want any of it. We may say, if that's Christian psychology, that's for the birds. That is not for me, because somehow or other, isn't it strange, when we are told that we are to overcome evil with good, that we are to stifle a spirit of revenge by a real deed of kindness to somebody who has harmed us, we say, well, you're going to lose everything and you can't gain a thing. I wonder if on this 20th anniversary of radio broadcast and as we turn to the Word of God, whether we can't just look at it for a moment and see whether this isn't Christianity at its best as we apply it into our practical Christian life. Whether this isn't the very finest thing that when God Almighty says to you and me, overcome evil with good, repay a bad turn with a good one, do something and let it be something positive, something fine and something good. You and I have everything to gain 
and really nothing to lose. What is there to lose? Well, in the first place, God would remind us of this, that God repaid a very evil deed, a very bad turn, with a real good turn in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? Let's go back to the creation of the world and go back to the Garden of Eden when the Lord God, when he had brought into existence this universe by the power of his word, and God had decreed that this universe was going to be created for a being that he was going to call man, that God was going to put on this earth a creature called man, that God might love that creature and that that creature in turn might love him. And so we read that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. God formed our bodies and what a marvelous form it was. And not after his image because God doesn't have a body. But God breathed into man's nostrils, now nose holes, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. We are made in the image of God because God is a spirit. God is a soul and God made you and me a soul. And God made us with free will that we might choose to love him or that we might choose not to love him. And there was a greater creation that God had also made and they were the angels. And some of those angels with free will had chosen not to serve God. And our God then, he created man that man might love him and that man might live in righteousness and holiness and that God might love man. And when the test came, what happened in Eden? You and I know that our parents, when they were tempted of Satan, they chose not to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and they chose, therefore, to be gods themselves, and they disobeyed God. It was a dirty deal and a dirty trick that man gave God in exchange for God's good turn. But what did God do? Was there a spirit of revenge in God that he gloated and he said, Oh, I'm glad you did it. There is a spirit of sweet revenge in me. I am tickled to death, Adam and Eve, that you sinned because now I can pounce on you and I can make your life as miserable as I possibly can. Did God gloat over it? Did God return it tit for tat? When you stand in Eden's garden and the Lord God turned to them, what was it? He returned in exchange for that evil turn. God gave them a good turn because when God spoke to Satan and Adam and Eve, the first gospel was proclaimed. In Genesis, the third chapter, the 15th verse, when God says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And the whole Bible is an unfolding of that glorious verse. When God says, I'll give you another chance, there was a good turn. God said, From you, Eve, will come the seed of the woman, the Savior and the Redeemer, who would come and suffer and die for the sins of the world. And in him you will have life and everlasting salvation there was a glorious good turn given by God in Eden for an evil turn and therefore you say well we've got everything to lose and nothing to gain oh friend that isn't true here is Christianity at its best because when you and I are going to conquer a spirit within us that whereby we have filled our hearts filled with revenge and we're going to again exchange a man tit for tat and we're going to even the score regardless of what it means when we realize that God exchanged a real good turn for an evil one, then and only then can we have the joy when we do likewise that the faith within you and me is a living faith. It's not a debtor than a doornail faith. Many a man can get up and assent to the creed. Many a man can say that he believes in God as Father and in Jesus Christ and he believes in the Holy Spirit. But you know and I know that unless that faith shows itself in your life and mine, unless you and I can look and say, here is a faith that is active, 
unless, let's put it right down to brass stacks, unless you can look in your life and I can look at mine, that there is a conquering within our own hearts of a spirit of revenge whereby we repay an evil deed with a good one, whereby we go out of our way to do a kindness to somebody has injured us. You and I have no evidence that our faith is living, that we have been blood-bought in Jesus Christ, and that we have been saved unto eternal life. Show me a Christian who is willing again to repay an evil deed with a good one. And I'll show you one who can say my faith is living and I know I have been saved from hell and damnation and I know that in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary life and eternal salvation have become I know. And I ask you this moment, what do you lose? Listen, this is Christianity in its finest hour in its practical application. This is Christianity in its very finest dress. God Almighty assures you and me, says we are to overcome evil, a spirit of revenge, and to overcome it by doing good. We must repay an evil turn with a good turn. That's Christianity. And you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And that's why this is the 20th anniversary of the broadcasting of the Word of God. And on this day, we ought to say to ourselves, if that's what God wants, that's what God shall get from my life. And when we have determined that we are going to conquer evil in our lives, a spirit of revenge, by in every case when somebody does us a dirty trick, that we shall respond with a good deed, then and only then can you and I ever avoid having the spirit of revenge conquer us. Oh, Paul says, don't let a spirit of revenge conquer you. I wonder how many of us in church or on the radio have really allowed a spirit of revenge to conquer us. How many of us are dominated by a spirit of revenge? I'll get even if it's the last thing I ever do and we gloat over it and I'll get even with a dirty deal that somebody has given me and as long as there's breath in my body I'll pay him back coin for coin and I'll give him the same deal that he has given me. How many of us are complete slaves? of again a desire for revenge. It's tragic. Look at the life of Moses, what he paid. Moses had a hot temper. Remember when he was out one day and he saw an Egyptian whipping a Hebrew and Moses again allowed his temper to flare and there was a spirit of revenge and he killed the man right on the spot and he threw him in the gutter and he covered him up. He thought nobody saw it. But the next day when two Hebrews were arguing and Moses tried to quiet them, the one Hebrew said, you're going to kill me? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Moses had to flee for his life. And don't forget, he spent 40 years out in the Midian desert. Why? Because there was a spirit of revenge. Oh, you read in the papers, you wonder how in the world can a father and a mother, how can they take a little infant child and just beat its literal brains out? How can they take a little child because it cries in a spirit of revenge with it so it's black and blue and fracture its skull and you read it every week? Why? Because there are people whose spirit of revenge controls them who are slaves. And how many husbands, because a wife leaves them for good reason or for not good reason, will turn around and kill the children? Kill the wife and the father-in-law and the mother-in-law. Go out with no end because revenge seems sweet. Or wives doing the same thing. What a price and what a tragedy. And yet men say revenge is sweet. Revenge is costly and it is tragic. Let's get also down in every congregation. Oh, this happens to every minister. Many a time I'm called to see somebody and I'm told that the person's a Lutheran. And I say, I don't know you. Where did you belong? 
Then you get a story sometime. I belonged about 40 years ago to a Lutheran church. But the minister said something that hurt my feelings, or somebody did something, real or imaginary. And so I withdrew. Then you see a person lying on a sickbed and on a deathbed been filled and conquered with a spirit of revenge, living their lives in revenge and in resentment, shriveled souls that have done nothing miserable. Then there's also the member that because of a spirit of revenge, if he thinks he isn't getting a just due, he stays away from church and he hopes that everybody notices it because that goes with this gloating of revenge. And God pity if you don't notice it. Then he gets angry because you don't notice his spirit of revenge. How silly can you and I get with a shriveled up soul? Oh, the shriveled souls we find in the name of Jesus because men have allowed a spirit of revenge I'll get even to conquer their lives. And the tragedy of it all is you lose your eternal life. Shriveled souls lying on sick beds ready for death, whose lives have counted for nothing because revenge seems so sweet, it's the most damnable bitter taste that could ever come to your soul and mine. This is Christianity at its best. Strange what creatures we are, that we say revenge is so sweet that if this is Christianity that I must return an evil turn with a good one that it's not for me, that I've got everything to lose and nothing to gain. Oh, it isn't so. It's Christianity at its best in its finest hour. Why? God Almighty says you've tasted of the mercy of God, and God says overcome evil with good. Mind you, I am to overcome that spirit of resentment, that spirit within me of a vengeance and the spirit of revenge, not by repaying an evil deed with another evil deed, or not even by saying, well, I'll just do nothing. That isn't it. God says by doing something, by doing something that is good, you just don't sit like a bump on a log. You do something, and you do something kind. It's Christianity at its best. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Why? Because in the second place, God reminds you and me that he will repay every evil turn that any man has ever done against you and me. You know, sometimes we may get the wrong idea when Paul says, Dearly beloved, he says, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. He says, Let God take care of this thing. Because God says, and Paul quotes the Old Testament, he says, God says, Vengeance is mine. That belongs to me. That's in my field. That's my prerogative. I will repay. I'll take care of this. You know, sometimes we may get the idea, well, I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to let God do it. And then we picture God as a revengeful God who has a taste for blood, who gloats. Will you bear this in mind that God said this, As I live, saith the Lord. God swears by himself because there is no one greater by whom he could swear. But God takes an oath and God says, As I live, I swear by my existence that I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Don't let any man ever tell you that God has a spirit of revenge, that God gloats in seeing the soul lost. Don't let any man ever tell you, I'm going to let God take care of this. And boy, oh boy, when God gets through with somebody in his spirit of revenge, he can do a lot worse things than I. 
That isn't true. God's vengeance is his justice. And God's justice, yes, it's an eye for an eye and it's a tooth for a tooth. But it's a justice that is administered in sadness. It is a justice that would rather administer grace. God says, I'll take care of the wrongs that men have done. You let me do that. And God says, that's my prerogative. Though the mills of God grind slowly, they grind exceedingly fine. And God reminds you and me that he doesn't balance books every day. You know, you and I would like to balance them every day. Right now, if somebody again comes back at us with an evil deed, we're ready to repay with the same thing. God says, overcome evil with good. What's the joy? What is there to gain? Listen, a God who is big enough who promises you and me that he will repay every evil deed that any man has done against us and do it in judgment, not in gloating, not in a spiritual revenge, is a God that gives us this joy that he is able to keep this promise that he will overrule every evil turn in your life and mine and make it a good one. You realize that God says a reversal will take place in your life if you will trust me? In other words, let's put it just like this. When any man does you and me an evil turn, he's actually doing us a favor. He is actually doing us a favor. We express it some ways like this. We say a knock's a boost. It is as a Christian. Why? God promises that every evil action of any man against you and me, every evil spite word, any kind of retribution, God says, I will overrule it for your good. You and I can say, how can you overrule an evil turn and make it a good one? Well, I'll give you the greatest reversal that ever took place in human history. Stand at Calvary for the moment if you want to see a reversal. If there was ever a dirty deal, if there was ever a dirty indignity, if there was ever a mean turn, it was the fact that men murdered the Son of God. On no basis was there any justification for crucifying Jesus Christ. They couldn't find anything. They put him to death because they hated him without cause. He was the innocent man, as the world still says, that it was the greatest life that was ever lived. It was the most holy life. And therefore, if there ever was an evil turn, that was it. And yet God reversed that evil turn and made it a good one. Why? Because you and I stand at Calvary and we say it was an evil turn, but God has reversed it because there's the hope of the world. There is the place where Christ bought and saved you and me from hell and damnation. There is where he bore the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. No greater reversal ever existed. And that's why in your life and mine, when we think that someone who has done us an evil deed has done something that God Almighty can't reverse, look to Calvary. There was the greatest reversal that Calvary, again, is the reversal of an evil turn to a good one. It's your hope and mine for eternal life and for everlasting salvation. God reversed it. Take the case of Joseph. Talk about reversal. You can see it in his life. He had ten brothers that put him down in a bottomless hole. It was waterless, and they were going to allow him to starve to death and to thirst to death. Then they decided to sell him into slavery, which they did in spite of his pleas. Down into Egypt, a man by the name of Potiphar bought him as a slave, put him in his home. Potiphar's wife fell in love with him. Rather than sin with her, what ha happened? Joseph ended up in jail. And there he was in jail for several years until finally some dreams came to Pharaoh. And one of the men who had been in jail with Joseph remembered that he could interpret dreams. And God what reversed the indignities in the life of Joseph so that by means of Joseph, who became the prime minister in Egypt, many souls were saved in the famine that hit the land. Reversal. Oh, your life and mine may not be as dramatic as that as Joseph, 
but we can know this, that here is Christianity at its best. There isn't anything to lose, there is everything to gain when you and I conquer a spirit of revenge in doing good, in repaying an evil turn with a good one. God says, I'll overrule every indignity for your eternal welfare, and let's let God do it. God's big enough to do it. And on this 20th anniversary, when we talk about, well, what do you do on an anniversary? Well, again, you do the same thing you have done throughout 20 years. You turn to the Word of God, and the Word of God speaks to you and me and says, we are to overcome evil with good. There ought to be a determination then that we say this, that as a Christian, this is Christianity at its best. Since you've got everything to gain, nothing to lose, since it actually pays, there ought to be a determination that in your life and mine, this shall be the way of life as a Christian. We are going to see to it that we repay an evil turn, not with another evil turn. That we repay an evil turn, not by doing nothing, but by doing something, and that's something positive, a good deed. And when we do that, then we are going to begin to realize that it does make a difference what people think. It's strange, again, Paul says this, that we are to prove all things and we are to show ourselves good in the sight of men. Sometimes we as Christians, I don't care what people say, isn't it strange how many of us with a spirit of revenge, we're going to get even, we still claim we're Christians, and we're going to come to here, we don't care what people think of us, I know it doesn't make any difference, but listen, friend, it makes a tremendous difference what people think. Because, again, if people can look at you and me as a Christian and say, here is a spirit of revenge, here is a gloating, here is one who is filled, again, with sweet revenge, who is conquered by that kind of an evil, what do you think you and I can do in the cause of peace in the world? Paul puts it this way, he said, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Oh, we're praying for peace and we want peace, but what must you and I do before we have a right to pray for peace? Paul says, if it be possible, as much as it depends on you. The big thing is there's something in this thing, a peace that depends on you and it depends on me. What can I do? If it depends on me, the thing that I can do and that I must do, regardless of what the other fellow does, is this that I must conquer a spirit of revenge by returning good instead of evil that has been done. You and I have no right to pray for peace unless we are willing to tell God, I on my part, I'm doing my part for peace because I am conquering a desire in my heart for revenge and I repay an indignity with a good deed, with a kind deed. Praying for peace, aren't we? Oh, when I was in Geneva and we stopped at a place and there was a legend, Woodrow Wilson, the founder of the League of Nations. Where is the League of Nations? It's gone, isn't it? The United League of Nations was in session at the time talking about the Laos controversy. And I heard Adlai Stevenson give his matchless address before the United Nations in New York when our president had declared what we had to do in the case of Cuba. And what was the address? To stand up there and to honestly have to say, this is the reason why we have had to do what we are doing, not in a spirit of vindictiveness, but because the Soviet Union has lied to us. The Soviet Union has told us that there are no missile bases, and we know that there are. Here are the pictures. We had to stand. What's wrong? Listen, the greatest peace plan that has ever come to this earth is this piece of practical Christianity overcome evil with good. 
And therefore, again, there can be no peace in this world until it starts in your heart and mind. And it starts where as far as we are concerned, this shall be the rule of our Christian experience, that we are going to overcome evil, a desire in our heart to get even, tit for tat, to give a man his own coin back for what he has given us, and instead of repaying him with an evil turn, to repay him with a good turn. That is the answer to the peace problem. And until the world knows it, it shall be embroiled in wars, and there will be rumors of wars. 20th anniversary of radio, and we say, what does God say today? God says, conquer evil with good. God says, conquer this desire of revenge, and conquer it by doing good, by repaying an evil turn with a good turn, by doing something. We can say, well, that's ridiculous, that's silly, that won't work. Friends, if Christianity is ever at its finest in its practical application, it's right here. Because God Almighty also reminds you and me that when we repay an evil turn with a good turn, somehow or other, if anything does, that has a way of heaping coals of fire on the heads of our enemies. Remember, as a child in Sunday school, when I first memorized this verse, when Paul said, If your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt keep coals of fire on his head. I wonder, what in the world coals of fire? What does that mean? Maybe some of you children wonder, what does it mean, coals of fire? Well, again, we begin to read, what are the coals of fire? Oh, it's a beautiful expression, isn't it? If there is anything that will heap coals of fire on your enemy and mine, it's this, that when he finds that we are not returning tit for tat, but we are going out of our way to do him a kindness for an evil thing that he has done us, then we heat coals of fire, which is an expression for we make him blush. You know, God made human beings with the ability to blush. Animals don't blush, do they? And this blushing is of a particular kind. It's the blushing that a man does when he is thoroughly ashamed of himself. If there is ever a way to make an enemy of yours and mine ashamed of himself, if there is ever a way to make him feel down inside that he is the greater sinner, it's when we give kindness in exchange for an evil turn. Do you ever think of uh, Joseph's ten brothers? What a scene that must have been, you know, when they came down to Egypt and they were after food and they did not know that the emperor, the prime minister rather, of Egypt was their brother. And when again he had given them food and he lined them all up and they came down with Benjamin and Joseph was there and he was speaking to them in Egyptian and an Egyptian was interpreting to them in the Hebrew language. He hadn't spoken any Hebrew to them because they thought he was an Egyptian. And finally he ordered the interpreter and everybody out of the room and he couldn't stand it any longer. And he looked at those brothers and he said, I am Joseph. And he spoke to them in Hebrew and he ran up and he threw his arms around them and he kissed them, those men that again wanted to kill him. Can you imagine ten men that ever blushed more in life than his ten brothers? Benjamin was not in on it. He didn't have to blush. Can you imagine the coals of fire that were heaped on those men's heads, ten of them, when they stood there and here was a brother kissing them and loving them and forgiving them after the dirty deals that they had given him? 
Oh, again, they turned to him and they just couldn't believe it, could they? They admitted they were the big sinners. If there's ever anything that'll make a man ashamed of himself and come to his senses, it is, again, when we can return an evil deed with a kindness and we can cause a man to blush within and it comes from within himself that he says, I'm the greater sinner, just like King Saul told David. He said, I sin more than you. And then you talk about joy, what's there to lose? Listen, the joy that if a man turns and comes to Christ, there is this joy that we've had a part in it. Do you know of any greater joy than to see an enemy? Well, because we have gone out of our way to treat him with kindness, because we have conquered a spirit of vindictiveness within our own soul, do you know of any joy that is greater than to see somebody turn to Christ? And supposing he doesn't, there is still this satisfaction that his blood isn't on your soul and mine. You and I don't want any soul loss because ours was a case of tit for tat. Regardless of what the injury was, regardless of how justified we may feel that a spirit of vindication and vindictiveness is justified on our part. Oh, again, this is Christianity in its finest hour. It is applied Christianity to the Christian it is Christian psychology in its most glorious beauty. And that's why today, yes, 20 years ago today, the first service went out over the air. And today, as again, we dedicate ourselves that we are going to conquer within ourselves a spirit of revenge, a spirit of getting even with others. And we are going to do it by repaying an evil turn with a good turn. Then we ought to today, we're ready to thank God for the privilege that we have had of broadcasting every Sunday. There were two things I had in mind when we went on the air. The first thing was certainly a conviction, and that was this, that if we were going to broadcast as Emmanuel Lutheran Church, it was going to be done without ever at any time asking for money or for donations over the air. No time did I want anybody who was listening to say, this is a gimmick, all they're interested in is our pocketbook. And thank God and credit to you as a congregation. For 20 years, you have nobly supported the radio fund of this congregation. Oh, yes, gifts have come in, to be sure. And far be it from me to say that they have not. But no gift has ever come in. But what it came from the giver who wanted to give, not even by innuendo has it ever been inferred that we ever wanted anybody to send us one nickel because this was to be our gift and our privilege to our community. And the other thing was this. At no time did I ever want the radio broadcast to mean this, that you in the church would feel that you were spectators and that this was a broadcast. No. As you know, for 20 years, the point of view has been, I'm talking to you in the church. And the radio audience, therefore, is part of the congregation. They are listening. You are not spectators. You are here as worshipers in God's house. And as we look back over 20 years, who knew whether it would last? I didn't know how long it would last. We were told that within two weeks you'll find out whether the community will accept it or not. By the grace of God, it has been accepted. Well, there have been some very fine experiences, to be sure. Individuals who have written, who have said that I've come to know Christ. I have gone to the church in my community. Individuals who have written have said we've wandered away from God. And and we have heard the word and we've come back and we've gone back into church life and we've come back to Jesus Christ. I remember the one, again, the one time when I was speaking about suicide by the grace of God and by his providence when after that Sunday I received a letter from a young lady who said uh, life 
came to me to be something unbearable. I didn't want any more of it. So I went into the kitchen, I turned on the gas and the stove, and I had it all on. I closed the door, and I was ready to go. I just didn't want life. And said, I didn't tune you in. I just happened to have WMRN on. And it so happened that you came on as a sermon, and you were talking about taking one's life, getting so despondent and so depressed, and you said that no man has the right to take his own life. And she said, there I stood and I wondered and I thought, well, here God is talking to me. And I, I turned the gas burners off and she wrote a very fine letter and said, a thank you by the grace of God and that there is still something to life and I'm still living. And some of you who have said this, you have said, well, the last sermon my husband or my wife heard on earth came from the church. They weren't able to go anymore but we were able to worship together and we sat at the radio and we sang the hymns with you and we prayed with you. And that's why, again, there's always been this thrill that somewhere in the sermon I realize that because I am talking to some who may never again hear the word of God, who may be at death's door, that there might be some comfort and some strength and that they might see the glory of Jesus Christ and that knowing him they might know that, again, even though death comes, it's the gateway to life and to everlasting salvation. Uh, that's the joy of preaching. There's hardly a week goes by when I go out to the hospital, somebody puts my name down, I don't know them, and I say to them, I guess I'm estranged, and say, well, you don't know, but you've been my minister for 10 years, 12 years, whatever the case may be. I haven't been able to go to church, and I've listened, you're the only minister I know. And so by the grace of God, again, we don't know in its small way what 20 years of broadcasting the Word of God has done. But we do know this, that God's Word never returns void. We do know that only eternity can tell the story. But for this we do thank God. It's been a privilege, a privilege to be sure, to warm hearts, to show men the glory of Jesus Christ, and to know this, that when God's Word is preached, as it certainly has been from the depths of my soul, my desire to preach it, that soldier won for Jesus Christ, and God's truth marches on. If souls have been warmed and some eyes have seen the glory of God, it's more than pay, is it not? And today on the 20th anniversary, oh, to God that we could go out of God's house today and we could say, I'm leaving behind this morning a spirit of revenge. There is no gloating. And I promise the Lord in my life from this day on, because I have seen his grace, that whenever anybody does me an evil turn, by the grace of God, I'm going to repay it, not with another evil turn, not by doing nothing, but I'm going to repay it so God help me by doing something good. May that joy, that enthusiasm in Jesus be yours and mine.